KRCL, Salt Lake City. I'm Nick Burns. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, a show for community builders, a show for punk rock farmers, and a show for DIY creatives. Thanks for plugging in tonight with your community here on KRCL. Tonight on the show, we'll feature another round of Music Meets Activism. This is our occasional segment where we talk with a local community member, kind of play their tunes, just talk about their life and how they get to where they are today. This time, it's A.C. Cox. He'll join us. He's a professor of marketing at Salt Lake Community College in the Gail Miller School of Business. He's also interim associate dean of computer sciences and information systems. Fun fact about A.C. Cox, he's a member of the PGA and has been a golfer for at least a couple decades. So that's pretty cool. Going to talk about golf, going to talk about some old soul music, going to talk about his teaching style, um, and just talk in general. I don't know much about golf, but we'll get into it. (laughs) So keep it tuned. But first... Laura, yes. Rallies and Resources. Yes, Rallies and Resources. We just lost our Zoom connection, so we're going to switch our guests, Nick. But first, if you go to krcl.org with me and you click on uh, the Community Affairs tab, you'll find a curated list of events we think radioactive listeners want to know about, perhaps participate in, or or show up for. And if you have an idea, you just go to send me an email, radioactive at krcl.org. So tomorrow is Thursday, and the Future of Refugees in Utah, a World Affairs Symposium is taking place out at the Utah Cultural Celebration Center in West Valley City. There's also a rally for recovery at four at the Capitol. And you can start the day tomorrow with our first guest. Joining us in studio, Joan Gregory from First Unitarians of Salt Lake City. And there's an interfaith call for lawmakers to protect the Great Salt Lake, Nick. Joan Gregory, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So you're a congregant at the First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City. That's correct. And you're one of the organizers or one of many people involved with this interfaith rally to support the lake tomorrow. Yes, that's correct. And this is at the Capitol? Yes. uh, Tomorrow we're um, asking folks to arrive by 9.15 for the press conference. There's going to be a press conference, and it begins at 9.30 in the Utah State Capitol Rotunda on the West Steps in front of the House of Representatives. And how did this all come about to put together an interfaith group to help the lake? So it actually began um, back in the fall in that um, when we had a big uh, summit about the Great Salt Lake. Okay. And during that summit, the f- number of folks who were involved in uh, various faith communities uh, got together and said, we need to be working together on this to let our legislators know that people from all faiths and spiritual perspectives support saving Great Salt Lake. I mean, there's been all sorts of tidbits in the news about Governor Cox speaking with folks from the LDS Church. I hope he's speaking with all the interfaiths. Well, that's one of the one of the reasons we're there at the Capitol, so that we can share multiple faith-based um, uh, perspectives. And so um, I wanted to share some about who our speakers please, will please, be. Please, please, please. Would that be great? Um, so uh, Dita Seed from the Center for Biological Diversity will um, facilitate our press conference. And Rios Pacheco, a spiritual leader from the Northwestern Band of Shoshone Nation, will be giving an indigenous spiritual perspective. 
Reverend Monica Dobbins from First Unitarian Church will speak um, from the Unitarian perspective, Unitarian Universalist perspective. Chelsea Page um, from uh, Holiday United Church of Christ. Rachel Lauritsen, who is a board chair of the Mormon Environmental Stewardship Alliance, will be speaking, as will uh, Ben Abbott, uh, an LDS church member and scientist, and the Reverend A.J. Bush from First United Methodist Church. And we have um, multiple perspectives on more than these churches. We have um, several faith statements, one of which was uh, signed by um, both um, members of the Jewish community as well as Christian communities. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're all there to uh, share our concern with our legislators. And I'm not super, super, super Bible literate, but it does seem to me there is a line in there somewhere that talks about man having dominion over all things. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean to rape and plunder all things. So dominion could mean let's take a little bit better care. Responsibility. Well yes. said. Yes. Responsibility for, for the earth. Responsibility for the care of the lake. And we know that um, based on scientific reports that the, the lake is on a path to collapse in about five years if we don't take action. And this could expose millions of people to toxic arsenic-glazed dust from the lake bed. Yeah. So, so I want to ask real quickly, you're a congregant at First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City, and you mentioned all these different faith groups that will be there tomorrow. But since I have you here now, the Unitarians are a very interesting group. And I, I wondered if you could take us through a little bit about the Unitarians, a very socially active church, for one thing, but not quite the same as what many people might think when they think of faiths, I think. Just a little different. So um, our, our principles and our values are uh, what we base our work on. One of those is the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part, um, the worth and dignity of, of every single person, um, the uh, beloved community and protecting the beloved community and, and working together as a beloved community. Um, these and, and other principles are uh, the source of our faith and our faith is based on, on action. I mean, Unitarian kind of sums it up, but you all are a group, I think, a religion that's very much us. There isn't an us and them that seems to be something that's in the news a lot with Christian nationalists and different faith groups that sort of are looking down on others or actively fighting others. That's not all y'all at all. No, so, and and it's Unitarian Universalist. And and so um, it it includes... Um, the, the the whole world, the whole perspective, and the the world being not just the human people, but the the plants, the animals, the world. How big is your congregation, if I may ask? Any idea? Um, I believe we have about three hundred and fifty families. Super. In the in first at First Unitarian Church, we also have congregations, um, South Valley uh, Unitarian Universalist Society in Cottonwood Heights. Um, Cache Valley, um, Ogden, um, a southern, uh, southwestern 
uh, Utah. And for folks who want to get involved and join the Unitarians or come and partake, where should they go? Look us up on the web. Um, First Unitarian is slcuu.org. You can look up the Unitarian Universalist Association throughout the country, uh, uua.org. And you can go to the Capitol tomorrow. Right, right. I wanted to get to that. Thank you so much. Go to the Capitol (laughs) tomorrow morning. And and by the way, um, they say that it's really tough to park up there. It is. They're doing construction on some of the public parking, so... And, um, and, but UTA, free bus. Thank you, MBA. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. February 12th For, to the 21st. So. There's some postcards that folks can uh, get a hold of tomorrow. So um, we, this is a long-term um, effort. And so we will be encouraging uh, people of other faith communities to uh, send their messages to the legislature as well. Um, those who have, of us who have participated in this first part have um, done postcards that either um, say the name of our, our faith, um, support more water to Great Salt Lake, or um, we may say um, people of faith support more water to Great Salt Lake. And is there a website or a place to find out more information about tomorrow morning or just show up at 915 at the Capitol? Show up at 915 at the Capitol. And take the bus. And take the bus. Or or carpool. Yeah. And we can say thank you to UTA for this month, which isn't something we do often. (laughs) But Joan Gregory, thank you very much. Again, a member of the First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City. Again, I'm going to go out on a limb here. One of the good churches. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're picking winners and losers with a oh. with the theological bend, Nick. <laughs> so we are a, an interfaith press conference tomorrow, yes, yes. and um, and welcome all people of faith and mm. with spiritual perspective. And thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, and thank you for all that work because I think there are people who definitely come to environmentalism from a religious perspective or a spiritual perspective, and many people who don't. And so thank you for bringing those groups together because I think that's part of tomorrow morning. Mm. Another thing that's happening in our community is a free skate for girls with the Utah Lady Grizzlies coming up this weekend at the Salt Lake County Parks and Recreation, Salt Lake City Sports Complex, and zooming in from, uh, I think, are you out at the Maverick Center? Shannon Bennett, Utah Lady Grizzlies coach. How you doing? Shannon, you there? Oh, we're still having connectivity problems. She's she's phoned back in, and we've we've got her in there, but something's going wrong. So let me just share some of these details. Shannon, you might have to uh, look at your side of the conversation and uh, click on some unmute things, if you would. It looks like you haven't zoomed in fully and turned on those functions. We're having some connectivity issues. But, Nick, here's what's going on. Hit, hit me. Girls can try hockey free. Saturday, 10.30 a.m. at that Salt Lake City Sports Complex at 645 South Guardsman Way. We're talking girls ages 4 to 14 with little or no skating or hockey experience. I've got a link in the show notes for you to try and sign up. It's tryhockeyforfree.com slash event underline underscore detail slash 1700. That's very confusing. I'll put it in the show notes. It'll be in rallies and resources. But we have Utah Lady Grizzlies in our community and girls who would like to learn how to skate, learn to play hockey. This is a great opportunity in your community. And it's at a Salt Lake County Parks and Recreation Facility. Your tax dollars at work. Definitely. And it's pretty cool. I mean, Utah has <clears throat> a nationwide uh, pers- a nationwide platform, certainly with the Super Bowl, with, with girls tackle football. 
and now hockey. I think that's yeah. pretty cool. And, you know, against the backdrop of all the other sports happening in our community from the uh, Super Bowl last weekend to NBA All-Star Weekend, throw some hockey in the mix. Yeah. Well, we got Music Meets Activism coming up, and I thought we could start with the first pick from our guest, if you'd like to introduce our Music oh. Meets Activism uh, conversation and playlist guest. Thank you. Music Meets Activism. A.C. Cox, hi. Hi. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, Professor of Marketing at the Gail Miller School of Business at Salt Lake Community College, also currently Interim Associate Dean of Computer Sciences and Information System Systems. You've got an extensive background and a circuitous right to becoming a college, a circuitous path, I should say, to becoming a community college professor. So I want to get into that a little bit. Okay. You have a unique educational, I think, classroom style. That yes. probably isn't. And yet today, and I want to talk about that, this, this I think you used the word edutain, that I think a little bit of Sesame Street sort of goes a long way in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But I also want to talk a little bit as we get into it, because with, with, with Tyree Nichols and what's going on nationally, it must be hard not only to be a faculty member of color in Utah or anywhere, but helping students of color these days has to be different than it was maybe only a few years ago. I've, I've got some insight. Okay. So this first song, De La Soul, We Lost Dave, one of the original founding members, just died, I think, February 12th. Longtime heart problems I know that he had. But you picked the song, Me, Myself, and I. And, of course, De La Soul, a rap group from the late 80s, Probably not as famous as some of what became known as the gangster rap, the sort of iced tea, freedom of speech, you better watch what you say, and all that kind of stuff. But probably an under-known rap group now, 25 years later. So tell me about picking this song, Me, Myself, and I. So growing up in South Mississippi, uh, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, 1989, I'd have been somewhere around 7th grade. Okay. And in seventh grade, I left public school and went to private school. So I went to a private Catholic boys boarding school, though I wasn't a boarding student. Wow. So there was boarding in day students. Uh, I got glasses and braces on the same day in the fourth grade. <laughs> so it was instant geek. Right? Oh. Not to mention the fact that I was a geek from the beginning. Um, I was one of the first kids in the state of Mississippi to be labeled as gifted as they were going through that early process okay. in the early 80s. Uh, so I was a nerd. In, in loved, a, at a Catholic school? So, so just starting at this new Catholic school. Uh, you know, back then, we separated students out by class, right? So you had your A class, your B class, your C class. Uh, I was in the A class, right? That's the nerd class. <laughs> and so okay. there was... Um, Two other black men in the classroom with me. Uh, I think there were six of us ultimately in my graduating class of 86, I think is the numbers, somewhere in that range. A couple percent. So, so not a whole lot of us to look at. Um, I, I loved hip-hop music. Gangster rap, while I appreciated it, it just didn't resonate because I was a nerd. <laughs> De La Soul was different, uh-huh. right? Their their vibe was different. Their sound was different. And so it just fit. Huh. And even though I deeply love all hip-hop music, I always kind of was drawn to the groups that were a little bit more different. 
De La, Tribe Call Quest, getting a little bit more modern outcast, right? Okay. And that's not even modern anymore. I'm, no. I'm sort of showing my age, right? <laughs> but, you know, I've, I know I know you from the community college, and, you know, you've always seemed to me someone who in the classroom and around campus has always sort of maybe marched to a slightly different drummer, kind of done it your own way. Yeah, and, and especially in Utah, yeah. right? I bring a really different perspective than a lot of people I think are used to out here there's a different language here um that you have to learn how to speak and i think to get along you have to learn how to speak that language in a way that still is effective uh-huh but it's going to be a little different than i think what people are used to are you talking i mean you're a professor of marketing you sound like you're talking about sort of marketing yourself in a foreign land all the time uh. right i mean the first thing that i'm teaching my students is that marketing is integrated in everything that you do and the decision that you made to put on the clothes that you wore to school this morning right that's part of marketing you're telling a story what story are you telling that's the one that's interesting to me so where i get fascinated in marketing where i'm really drawn to marketing as a discipline is the behavioral piece of huh. it so are you aware of the message that you're presenting today and de la soul me myself and i kind of the hippie rap group they used to be called yep Yep, very much so. Let's roll it. KRCL amplifies the work of community nonprofits, like the NAACP, working to ensure a society in which all individuals have equal rights. To learn more, visit naacpogden.org or naacp-saltlakebranch.org. Thank you to everyone who donated to KRCL last year. Tax receipts for 2022 have gone out, but if you would like a digital version of your donation record, you can download one through your KRCL Connect account. Log in or sign up under the support tab at krcl.org. As always, email any questions you may have to members at krcl.org. Well, default taxes, default tyranny. This is Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns. One of our episodes tonight, Music Meets Activism. Ashley Cox, AC, welcome back. Thank you. So we were just talking about, and we played De La Soul, your first, your first choice here. Me, myself, and I, again, lost founding member Dave here just a few days ago. Again, a, a kind of different rap group. Pretty big back, I would say, 30 years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. um, before they were sort of pushed aside by the, by the moral panic of gangster rap. But when you were listening to them, you were also, you know, you were taking piano lessons and playing piano. And De La Soul, known for their samples and whatnot, kind of ahead of the ahead of their time, I think. Right. And yet you were busy playing piano. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, my mother okay. got a keyboard. And as a curious kid, you go over there and you start tinkering. And I happen to have a little bit of an ear. And so could put together a piece of a tune. And so my mother immediately signed me up for lessons. Uh, you know, I learned a lot. I look back on the piano lessons. And, yeah. and uh, I was such a bad student. <laughs> I was such a <laughs> now bad Now you're a professor. Student. Okay. What made, right? you a bad, what made you a bad piano student? Well, because piano lessons were typically an hour, right? And so the expectation was that each week you're going to go home and practice. And so that when you come back the next week that you should be progressed from where you were the week past and most of my piano lessons were the first 30 minutes was supervised practice from what I should have practiced between weeks 
I was a bad student. Uh, use bad that student. in your teaching today? All the time, especially in <laughs> golf, especially in golf. Oh, let's talk about <laughs> golf a little bit. You're a member of the PGA. I am. Um, which isn't the PGA Tour. No. So take me through the difference for folks who don't know. Yeah, separate entities. So uh, at one point in time, they were totally together. Um, but I think it was in the early 60s, somewhere around 60, 60 or 61, the PGA Tour broke off from the PGA of America. So the PGA of America, of which I am a member, is more associated with the day-to-day operations of running a golf facility. Uh, PGA of America professionals are college golf coaches. They are junior golf coaches. They are sales representatives. Uh, they are professional golf coaches. They, they run major resorts. They run tournaments. There's a number of different spaces that PGA professionals can be active and be participating in society, but also still spreading golf. And I looked up 1% of the members black some history of racism too <laughs> right in the group. If, if that right like i i we often tout about twenty eight thousand uh associates and professionals in the association and it's been a few years since i've looked at the numbers yeah. but i want to say the last time i looked it was less than 600 right so that's not a significant percentage at all of twenty eight thousand. Yeah. and and those numbers have been small for a long time um, they've certainly grown significantly in the, you know, 25 plus years since I've been directly affiliated with the PGA of America. Um, and it's been nice, but it's been slow and it's going to continue to be slow. Golf is golf has got a long way to go before we're able to actually make it as accessible as I think it can be. So let's, let's pause there for a minute because that's your, that's your professional background before becoming faculty, before becoming a professor, in terms of marketing, you ran a golf course, I think, in Michigan. Yep. Um, that was your academic career was go- what sports management. Well, so my so my academic uh, major at Mississippi State was professional golf management. Back then, there were four universities that offered such a program. Now, um, and the numbers, I think it's either seventeen or eighteen universities in the U.S. that offer such a program. Uh, the numbers had gotten up to twenty, um, and a couple of programs have retracted yeah. over the last few years, but my path to academia is actually through the golf management program. So I ran a club in Michigan for a season, and for a couple of reasons, I decided that being a green grass golf pro just wasn't for me. Um, later in life, I realized that it was the intellectual stimulation that I was missing, right? Uh, I went back to Mississippi State to work on my MBA. Okay. And stumbled into this position at a small university in North Carolina called Campbell University. They had just uh, gotten accredited by the PGA with a golf management program. And so they hired me at 24 years old to be their assistant PGM director. And so I completed my MBA at Campbell. That was my introduction and the marriage of my two careers there was teaching our students about careers in the golf industry so it's a business degree through the lens of yeah, golf, essentially. Yeah. And also, because I completed my MBA and the additional requirements, I started teaching undergraduate, and which ultimately led to graduate marketing classes as well. And that was where I'm good in golf. I'm passionate in the classroom. <laughs> and you're also a man who's black in Mississippi learning about golf yeah it, it seems like you know you mentioned six kids who were black at your school amongst yeah. 80 90 white kids 
What was it like being in college? Because I imagine there weren't a lot of black kids in that program with you. Yeah, no. So, so uh, my freshman year, there was one young lady in the program with me from Georgia. She lasted one semester. Uh. And um, last year, I was awarded the uh, Professional Development Award by the Utah PGA section. And as I was reflecting uh, in preparation for my acceptance speech, I thought back to my freshman year. Uh-huh. And, and one of the things that I thought about is I think part of the reason that she left, it's just the two of us in the whole program. I don't think that I was enough to sustain her with it just being two of us. And I think that's part of the reason that she took off and went back to Georgia. Yeah. Um, what, what sustained you? I mean, that's a huge decision at 17, 18, going off to college, and I'm going to be in this golf management program. You know, I have figured out how to be an amoeba, right? I can, I can make myself fit in pretty much any situation or circumstance that I'm in. Uh, I don't. Obviously, if it's something that I'm uncomfortable with, I'm just not going to be in it. But I also recognize that sometimes you got to go along to get along, and you've got to learn when to fight the fights that you need to fight. And so in this respect, I just looked at it as sort of it's a means to an end, right? Amoeba, I'm really intrigued by that word. I mean, it's, it, it, it almost sounds like a more benign version of code switching. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, you know— The thing about code switching to me is that I think it happens beyond just that racial element that we often focus on, right? What I'm often talking about with my students is that we're we're playing roles daily in our interactions with people. And, you know, as a sales professor, right, as I'm teaching sales, one of the things I'm trying to get my students to understand is that they need to try to figure out a way to separate their identity from their role. Right, because the identity that you take at home is not necessarily the identity that you're always presenting in the street. And oftentimes you don't want that identity out because you don't want that identity to get damaged. So you play a role to protect that identity. Other times you just play the role because it's the role, right? Uh-huh. And in the role, recognizing that whatever interaction that you're getting, it's really with the role. It's not with the identity. So what I recognized is that my position in this class as the only black kid in the entire program, the first graduate of that program. Congrats. That my role was to be in this program. But I did not let my loneliness affect my identity. I was still comfortable in my own skin, so to speak. Do you think that's stressful for you or for other people to sort of do that kind of separation? Oh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. And And it's... You know, as I've aged and matured and gotten into different spaces, the stress level has gone up because I feel like it's there's greater expectation, uh, especially in Utah, as one of the few black male faculty members at the college. Few black faculty members at any institution of higher education in the state. Right. Interesting. Let's. I want to ask about that. You're in in the classroom. Again, I'm guessing, you know, Salt Lake Community College is the most diverse institution in the state incoming. Mm -hmm. I don't think our, I shouldn't say our because I'm not there anymore, but the graduation rate is probably not all that much better than other institutions in terms of students of color. But I'm guessing you, like you say, one of the few professors who's black, most of the students white in business? In business, yes. Okay. Um, 
we've seen, I've seen, um, although I've, I've not been in the classroom a ton in the last few years, given the, um, you know, it's been more online than it has been in a face-to-face yeah. lecture environment. So uh, I've certainly seen uh, an increase in the number of Hispanic students in, in my courses. Um, but I see very few uh, African-American or African students in business classes, period. I think a big piece of that, though, is the transfer piece, right? Like that that has a big effect on us, and that's a, probably a different conversation for a different day that we don't need to bore people with necessarily. But uh, I think that that may play a role in why we don't have necessarily more okay. students of color that come over and take classes in the School of Business. That's something that we need to address internally. But um, I don't have as many as I would have expected given my experience at other institutions. Okay. And we, yeah, that could be a conversation for another day that we're talking about transfer students yeah. who start at two-year school and go yeah. on to four-year. I wonder about your teaching. Again, there has been a huge change in the number of students who are Hispanic at Salt Lake Community College, but you used the word earlier, edutain, that I think, and, and I think that's true for me. That was true for me in the classroom too. If you kind of put on a show, you can hook people right. without them knowing it. Um, but th- to me, that takes it right back to marketing. You're marketing a professorship or you're marketing learning. Right. I think the, I think people that are really good in the classroom are engaging, mm-hmm. but I think that they understand that they're sort of selling something, right? And that's, we often immediately go to the idea of sales when we think of marketing anyway. It's either sales or advertising or the two places that we go first. We don't ever think about behavior as a behavior modification aspect, right? yeah. and, and econ right but uh being in front of the classroom you know i i came from the sage on the stage sort of school the get stand up and lecture right yeah, put on a show that, okay you know, there's, there wasn't any real prep for me when i was at 24 to be asked here go teach class here go write a syllabus i didn't even read the syllabi i was given as a student how am i supposed <laughs> to write one you know, so so <laughs> the shame. Right. So so yeah. you have to learn on the fly. And so you do what you've seen. Right. You mirror what you've seen and you try to mirror the stuff that you like from people that you like. And you get rid of the stuff from the people that you don't. And what you start to pick up through the years is that the ones that were most engaging were the ones that were most entertaining. Um, I'd argue that half the time we probably didn't even know if whether or not what they were saying to us was factual because they were really good at telling us a story. Because it was fun to sit and listen. Right? Yeah. And so being able to hook people in that way gets them captivated, right? Which is marketing, right? Isn't that what we're doing in advertising? I'm telling you a story. And you're, well, in in the classroom, you're marketing your discipline. You're marketing your discipline. You're marketing your knowledge, right? Um, Not to mention, you know, the beauty of today, I think, is I love the fact that students can fact check you on the fly. (laughs) They've got their phone right Right, in front of them. because... If you are wrong, that's good. That gives us an opportunity to understand why we're wrong. It takes away the sage on the stage. It gives the student the opportunity to be more interactive in the classroom, and interactive it, in, the, in the show, right? What I tell my students on the first day is, uh, you bought season tickets, you might as well come to the show. So I look at it as a show. And I imagine for some students, that's a complete freak out. It is. Because they're used to sort of having the head popped and the knowledge dumped in, and you shake it up and spill it back on the test. Right. But are you really learning anything, 
or through the conversations that we can engage in in the classroom because I keep this discussion open and free and entertaining, or you may be leaving with more than what's necessarily coming out of that textbook. That'd be good. Or what you regurgitate on that test. Yeah. This is Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns talking with Ashley Cox, AC, professor of marketing at Salt Lake Community College. One of our special music meets activism segments. The next song here you picked, Boys to Men. Um, I'm not quite sure how to set this song up because some people would find this song really plaintive and some people would find this song just incredibly sad and something for a funeral, but I'm not sure that's why you picked it. So this is It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. Tell me about it. Right, so this song came out about the same time as Boys in the Hood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having older cousins, they sort of shared some of their knowledge with us. And we learned that there was a great deal of similarity between Boys in the Hood and Cooley High. Okay. The movie from back in the, I think, the late 70s. And the song, uh, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, I believe originally came from Cooley High. Okay. And so if you watch the movie Cooley High and you watch the movie Boys in the Hood and you listen to the song, you see the connection, you see the relationship. But I think the bigger thing is that at least in the collection of people that I was with in my neighborhood, Boys in the Hood was a really important movie for us. Right, like it was, this is young black men similar to us. Now, don't get me wrong. We did not grow up in anywhere near the violent type of You area. weren't in South Central, right. yeah. But you certainly grew up in a segregated neighborhood. So you still had similar experiences. And so we're watching this play out, and we're thinking, could that be one of us one day? Well, and it, that was John Singleton, the director, right, who used to be the cinematographer for for many, if not most, all Spike Lee movies back in the day. But it, it's a it's one of the early films that took young black men and moved a bit beyond just thugs, drug dealers, criminals, right. and not that those characters weren't in that film, but there was a humanization of everyone, and I think that was really what kind of set that film apart in a way. Yeah. And I think it's still relevant in a lot of ways to to today, right? Like, and it, I think it's still an important movie, um, especially in in young black men, in particular, right? Like, I think there was a level of empowerment that came to some of us from that movie. And this song, you know, I think about it more from just thinking about being in that time. And and again, if you the reference to the movie Cooley High is important because the similarities between the two movies makes it make a lot more sense. Okay, let's roll it. This is Boys to Men. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Support for Radioactive comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Love Promise Community Commitment, a partnership with nonprofit organizations that aim to make the world a better place. More information about the Love Promise and Subaru products at markmillersubaru.com. We are back on Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns. Keep it tuned tonight. Democracy Now! That rolls at 7 with Amy Goodman. Rude Awakening with Liz, 8 p.m. Maximum Distortion, always 10.30 p.m. with Forgash and Cody D. And John Florence starts a brand new day at 6 a.m. Right now, music meets activism with Ashley Cox, AC. Welcome back. Thank you. We were talking about the two movies, um, 
and that got us into that song. And we were talking about your style in the classroom. How do you use film in the classroom? I love to show documentaries in the classroom. About marketing? Films about, about marketing? You know, about... So I'm, I'm the anti-marketing marketer. Explain that. I like to teach people that they are actively participating in all the things that they turn around and say that they hate when we start thinking about consumerism, right? And so instead of being angry about it, recognize that you're participating in it and just appreciate that you made the decision based off of your own individual wants and desires and needs versus being so consumed with what other people think, which I believe is one of the primary motivators of the consumerism that exists in our society. It's less about me trying to purchase stuff for my benefit. It's more about what other people are going to think and look or how they're going to look at me by the decisions that I you make. You are what you drive, so to speak. Right. And, yeah. so, and so I'm the anti-marketing marketer in the perspective of you're playing in this game too. Just understand that you're playing in this game. And so I like to show documentaries that sort of expose things. And I explain to the students, please understand the bias in the beginning and try to draw that out so then you can just look at it with a more fresh perspective, knowing that that bias that's underwriting this documentary is there. But if you separate it, there's probably a message there that you need to find a, try to tease out. And so that's how I use documentaries to challenge my students. I mean, to me, that seems like an ideal way to teach marketing would be to help the students understand their own position vis-a-vis -vis all the marketing they're deluged with every day. Right. Are you paying attention to the things that are happening every day? Or were you paying attention that when we got $600 stimulus text from the federal government that at Walmart every TV was five ninety eight the next day? <laughs> yep. No, and again, it's it. you're going to turn out people the people who will eventually work at Walmart and make those decisions. Just be smarter consumers. That's what I'm trying to teach there people to do. Be smarter yeah. consumers. So the classes you teach, are you teaching the, the students who are majors who want marketing degrees, or are you teaching classes that are like the general education for everybody? Right. So the unique thing about our program is that because marketing is not traditionally a transferable degree, it's typically a higher-level course at a four-year we're really targeting more of the students that are looking to benefit themselves in their current job or maybe a position that they're seeking. Can we give you some skills that you can utilize tomorrow? Now, we're not saying that we don't encourage and we don't appreciate and we don't teach to the students that do ultimately transfer to the other institutions, but we recognize that more of our students are looking for skills that are going to benefit them immediately versus the theoretical piece that helps you have a deeper understanding of that other side of things of, you know, that, that you get at more of a four-year research-based yeah. institution. And the classes that you teach, are, are, you, are you part of or are, are your courses part of that collapsed degree, that 14-month business degree? I know you offer that really neat program where the classes run 10 weeks instead of 16 weeks and they're all back-to-back. -back. Is marketing part of that? Uh, I think we may have one or two of our courses that are sprinkled into that curriculum, yeah. but that is not in our. It's that not, is not your marketing, our, but yes. it, that's a pretty neat program for anyone listening who's interested in, like you say, upping your career skills or whatever. You work at the call center and you want to do more better. There is this business degree, not per se marketing, but you can get a whole associate's degree in, I think, 14 months. Right. It's kind of cool. Tell me about moving from being a faculty member into associate dean. 
Yeah. Now, now been, you're a manager. That's been fun. It's been, it's been interesting to uh, the curtains that get pulled back when you move into a new seat. Ooh. The things that you learn. A lot of it is uh, confirming stuff that you may have thought. Um, so it's just, it gives a different perspective uh, to the day-to-day operations. Yeah, I mean, I've taught in a number of different states, or I did teach in a number of different states at two-year and four-year schools and so on. And, and there usually is this labor management split between faculty and administration, mm-hmm. the deans and associate deans, and sometimes department chairs. You've now, as I did many years ago, you've sort of jumped. Now you're, now you're on the other side. Yeah, right. That's been interesting because it's weird that that disconnect exists, right? Because in reality, for me to be qualified to be in the position of academic leadership, I should have at least been a faculty member at one point. Uh-huh. I have to understand what it was like to be a faculty member. I have to remember what it was like to be a faculty member. And I have to think with the faculties from a faculty member's perspective. You're representing them right, half as, the time. As you're making decisions. Yeah. Right. And the other half of the time, you're representing on high. So we're right back to where we were a half hour ago chatting with you, that sort of amoeba. Right. You've got a split. I mean, it is a rock and a hard place kind of job, and some people love it and some people don't. Seems like it fits you, though. It's, it's uh, been a lot more fun than I expected it to be. And, and, it, and one of the things that's been really interesting and fun is, is that I've got, a, um, I've got a unique group having computer science. It's just not a group that I've had a lot of interaction with. Um, and so it's been fun to get to know the faculty in the computer science department. Uh, the personalities are, are awesome. And there's just been a fun group of people to be around. Probably different than the per se business, straight up business or finance folks. Yeah, it's too. not the same. Yeah. Right? It's not the same interaction with them, but it's still a fun interaction. It's and again, it. I appreciate your attitude that it's sort of a fun thing mm-hmm. to go do new things. So, AC, two more songs here on the list, and and I want to get into these because I think they take us in a very different direction. Yep. So Stevie Wonder is up next. Um, Again, somebody I used to listen to on the car radio when I was a little kid in the suburbs of Detroit. This goes back a little bit before maybe De La Soul or Boys to Men, but this is Isn't She Lovely? So tell me about this being on your list. Yeah, so uh, I got in the game late with respect to kids. Okay. Um, Define late. So I was in my mid-30s when my first daughter was born. Well, not the end of the world, but okay. I uh I have a nine year old and an almost six year old. Okay. Um I never pictured myself as a girl dad. Hmm. And I'll never forget the first time I brought my oldest daughter home. My wife went around back so that the dogs didn't go crazy. <laughs> and I'm standing in the living room and I'm holding her and all I could think is, Oh my goodness, her entire existence is dependent upon me. And that that was the moment, I think, when I grew up <laughs> and realized that I'm now a parent. And this song made me think of Isn't She Lovely, right, as I'm holding my oldest. And so when she was little, I played that for her quite Aww. a bit before she, you know, at, at bedtime. And I did the same with her little sister. And I have a house full of, I have uh, a wife, two daughters, two female dogs and a female cat. Okay. So it's a house full of all... You and the women. Women. 
I don't think that'd be all bad. It's awesome. I love it. I, I love my mess. I absolutely Stevie Wonder, love my let's mess. hit it. We are back on Radioactive, talking with Ashley Cox, AC Professor of Marketing at Salt Lake Community College in the Gail Miller School of Business, one of our Music Meets Activism's segments. Isn't she lovely? Stevie Wonder, you mentioned this song comes to mind with both your daughters, now almost to tween, so look out, Mm -hmm. right? We got your oldest almost 10. You mentioned having girl kids instead of boy kids in this this household full of dogs and everybody's a girl. What's that like compared to, like, if you had sons? Is there, like, a feeling of loss there? You wish you had boys? or Not really. Okay. You know, it's, it's I don't feel like I'm missing anything, right? Not to mention the fact that I see what little boys do. Yeah. And I'm glad I don't have to deal with, <laughs> with the nonsense. Right. I was a little boy. I know little boys do dumb things. And uh, little girls do dumb things, too, but it's just not near as reckless as little boys. Uh. I think that's a big piece of it is they're just they're just not as reckless. Well, statistically, over decades and decades and decades, not that we want to go too far afield, but more young men die than young women. Right. That I mean, more young men die in car wrecks, shoot themselves on and on and on compared to girls. Your girl's nine years old, old enough to golf. She's got clubs. She's starting to get some lessons in. We're, we're trying to get her introduced. Going to be good. Uh, we'll see. I yeah. hope so. Your wife golf. Not at all. Okay. That's part of the reason I married her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you could have something different when you come home? Yeah. You know, it. Huh. Uh, one of the tough things I think, and I know some other, there's other camps about this, but one of the tough things I think is, is when you bring a sport into the relationship, right? So I don't want to be my daughter's coach. Because I want to be dad. Thank you I'm for that. I want to keep that separate, right? Kind of same thing. And I don't, you know, if if my wife ever wants to learn to play golf, certainly she's got access, and and we will get that, make that happen. Yeah. But she's got to want to do it for her. I don't want her to do it just to come chase me around, right? As a golf professional, my job is to make you appreciate the game, not appreciate the game for somebody else. For you, yeah. Right. So if she wants to learn because she wants to learn. We certainly take it down that road, but she's never expressed an yeah. interest, and that's cool, too. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't want to teach my daughters to drive. I thought somebody else should do that, kind of the same thing. Yeah. I didn't want that to be in the way of my relationship with them, although my 30-year-old doesn't even have a driver's license and doesn't <laughs> want to have a car. So I'm like, good for you. If you don't want one, don't do it. Um, so nine years old, set of clubs. Are you ready for teenage years? No. I mean, that's going to be crazy. Yep. Like age 12 to 14, look out. They should go to prison. <laughs> Just for a year. Well, Catholic boarding eighth, school? Eighth grade should be that, you know, that one year of scared straight. <laughs> what about Catholic boarding school? We've talked about that one, too. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so your, your oldest daughter's nine. You've been at the community college, I want to say, about almost 10 years? Just under. So this is the start of year eight. So you kind of did this all at once, established tenure-track career, kids. Yeah. It's it a lot. Came, came in a hurry. A lot of it came in a hurry. Um, my youngest daughter, I mean, my oldest daughter was born in Denver. Okay. Just about a year before we actually relocated. So she, I think she just had her second birthday before we relocated. And, and uh, yeah, and then we had our second daughter here. Um, so one, one Colorado and one Utah. A oh, couple minutes here. I want to get into your last song. 
tell me about golf for you. You still get out on the links? You still able to? You know, when I can. I like to still be active. I just came back from playing in our uh, PGA, Utah PGA section winter classic in St. George. Uh, I played poorly, but I can say that it's been snowing. So what do you expect? Right? <laughs> uh, not a whole lot of opportunity to practice during the winter. Um, but I still love the game. I still love to compete. I wish I had an opportunity to play a little bit more and had a little bit more access to be able to play regularly to get my game in shape because I'd like to be able to compete better. Um, but I still enjoy it enough to just to show up and, yeah. and give it a try. Liking to compete, how's that dovetail with being a professor or now being an administrator, that competition feeling? I argue that those of us that are drawn to the classroom especially at the college level, probably have a hint of competitive narcissism in us all. And I think that that's just, that's why we do what we do. Well, it's certainly fun to be in front of the class and have 40 eyes staring at you and you're in charge. That's right? certainly fun. Right. Yeah. And so I think it feeds a little bit of us. I think that's part why some of us end up being drawn in that direction. I'm lucky that the golf industry is what allowed me to find this space because otherwise, I would have never thought that I'd end up as a college professor. Uh, that wasn't in, that wasn't on in the as as the youngsters say that wasn't on the bingo oh, card. You and me both, but here we are, Ashley Cox, AC. Thanks. We got one more song here. This is like Chicago Soul. I want to say Dave Hollister, "Spend the Night." Yeah, this song came out fairly recently, in the last you know few, few years. years. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Every time I, th I listen to this song, I think about my wife. Um, you know, when my wife decided for some reason to follow me around when she could have left at any point, and it would have been cool because she didn't have to come west with me. She loved North Carolina. Uh. She decided to come out here, and, um, you know, I, I love my, my whole world. I love my – I call it my mess, and I think some people may misunderstand what I mean, but I love my mess, right? And I love the mess that is my life, my family. Um, and I don't think I tell my wife enough um, that I love her. I play this song around her a lot. I don't know if she realizes that that's me subtly trying to say, oh. hey, this is me thinking about you. So, How long have you been married? Uh, this year is number 10. Congratulations. May 25th is our 10th anniversary. Make it a good anniversary for 10. I'll do my best. AC, thank you very much. Ashley Cox, professor of marketing at Salt Lake Community College. This is Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns. We're going to go out on AC's final song. Dave Hollister, Spend the Night. KRCL, 90.9 FM, HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo. 96.7 FM in Park City, on the web 